This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The following podcast contains explicit language, by which we mean potty talk. It's Tuesday, February 13th, 2018. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. So I'm watching the Olympics. I'm seeing these kids in their baggy pants, half-piping it for the glory of the USA and occasionally Norway. All cool, bruh. But then they tumble on down. That's cool too, bro, Cephas. But in the women's slope style, which is like a totally real event, they got a railing on the mountain, happens all the time in nature. There are huge gusts of winds, and they buffet every competitor, and then every competitor falls, except for the American, Jamie Anderson, who wins gold. Jamie Anderson, the girl who didn't fall. So that's cool. You train for four years. You're undone by wind. No problem. They got the X Games. But as female after female wound up eating powder, I was constantly confronted with one thought. Actually, one word. That word was Burton. That's the snowboard manufacturer written on the bottom of all the boards. And I see Burton because the competitors, like I say, are going ass over tea kettle. And there, right there, it says Burton. And I wonder, is that good for the brand or bad? I mean, the name is getting out there, but the competitors' bodies are all laying under the brand. Same question came up today as I was hearing about the White House plan to redo food stamps, the SNAP program as they call it now. Let's replace some of what we give away in SNAP with a, quote, blue apron type box. Well, I got to tell you, I eat Blue Apron twice a week. I talk about it on this show, I don't know, 17 times a week, seems like. I could do it by memory. Farm fresh, sustainably sourced, no added hormones, bilingual fashion forward. Meals like, all right, this is what I'm going to get tomorrow, Baja-style tilapia and garlic caper chicken. And that's Blue Apron. Now here is the White House version. It's called the USDA America's Harvest Box, and it would contain such items as juice, grains, cereals, pasta, so the carb family is well represented, beans, canned meat, poultry, or fish, and canned fruits and vegetables. And I wonder, is this good advertising for Blue Apron? It is brand extension. It's coming out of the mouth of Mick Mulvaney, or is it bad advertising? Maybe Mick Mulvaney has an investment in a Blue Apron competitor. So that's why he keeps talking about Blue Apron with what's really a carbs and cans dietary plan. The Obama administration said, yes, we can. Trump says, yes, we can can your dinner. It's part of the decade-long conservative aversion to any poor person possibly veering into the Pop-Tart aisle on the government dime. So we have to punish all the people who need food, who might want an actual quart of milk that's not vacuum-sealed or fresh vegetables. So instead of that, let's give them all shame boxes. Blue Apron? That's a red herring. This plan's nothing more than a cardboard box moral rectitude scheme. If the poor shaming is too subtle for you, here was Rep King to make it explicit on CNN. We built the program because to solve the problem of malnutrition in America. Mm -hmm. And now we have a problem of obesity. 
And when you match up the EBT card with the, what the scales say on some other folks, I think it's worth looking at. Michelle Obama looked at it. Republicans should be able to look at it, too. Look, the Trump budget's actually going nowhere. It's really more of a press release with dollar signs than anything else. But it's also something of a moral report card. And I do wonder if the typical GOP trick of demonizing the poor works so much these days, now that so many Trump voters are struggling Midwesterners who probably have family members on SNAP, might be overweight themselves. Yet they all worship a 239-pound president who eats cheeseburgers most nights and offers advice on healthy living for other people. On the show today, I spiel about the Intelligence Committee's hearing. But first... Gerrymandering is a pretty thorny problem, and to solve it, it's not like there is a precise roadmap. Actually, there sort of is, and one woman has drawn it up. She's not an expert, not a trained cartographer, certainly not a politician. She is, in fact, a piano teacher who just might hold the key for the Keystone State boundary drawing if they would only listen. Slate Live is thrilled to present Employee of the Month, a late-night talk show all about work. Well the interview a very interesting person and that person will tell you about their work it's recorded before a live audience you can be part of that audience and host katie lazarus will dazzle you with her wit and insight this month katie lazarus is joined by comedian hannibal burris actor emily mortimer and musical guest the resistance revival choir i saw them backing up kesha at the grammys the show is march 15th at the gramercy theater in new york city For more information and tickets, visit slate.com slash live. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. In 2016, when Pennsylvanians went to the polls to vote for their congressman or woman, most of them voted for a Democrat. It wasn't most by a lot. It was 51%. But you know what? I know math. That means most. And yet, of the 18 members of Congress that Pennsylvania sent to the U.S. Capitol, it wasn't a nine and nine What is it even eight and six? Five were Democrats, 13 were Republicans. How could this be? I'll tell you how. This is exactly how it was supposed to be by the people who drew the maps. This is why Pennsylvania has come in for criticism and, in fact, for a court-ordered ungerrymandering. So who shall ungerrymander the gerrymandered? I have a suggestion. Amanda Holt. She is a piano teacher from Upper Mukunjee, Pennsylvania, and she did it last time. She redrew maps that all the experts said, wow, this is a lot better than what we came up with. Hello, Amanda. How are you? Good. How about you? I'm good. So 2012 was your first foray into the uh, map-making game. What prompted you to get into it, and why would you think, oh, I could solve this problem? (laughs) Well, at the beginning, I was just kind of looking at my legislative districts and thinking they looked a little odd, and looking across the state, they all looked kind of odd. And so it got me asking why they had to be like this, which launched me on to my redistricting adventure. I love it. So what did they look like? Sometimes they're described as, you know, goofy kicking Donald Duck or the inverted platypus. How would you describe what some of these districts look like in Pennsylvania? 
Well, for me, it wasn't so much their shapes, but the fact that different municipalities I was noticing were all split up in odd ways, and that just was really puzzling to me. Like, for instance, our congressional district, the entire county was within one congressional district except this little tiny piece in Upper Mukunji, and that was separated off and put with a different district that was based in another county altogether, and it just made no sense whatsoever why you'd have to do something like that. Now, did you come into this mostly motivated by partisanship, by good governance, by a love of cartography? You know, what was your, just maybe you have a sense of order and you didn't like how the maps uh, didn't appeal to your logic. What was your, what, what was your orientation in 2012 when you tried a redrawing of the maps? For me, it was just about sticking with the Constitution. And what I was seeing wasn't sticking with our Constitution. I'm a big believer in upholding the law and following the rule of law and to see that ignored from my perspective in the process I thought was appalling and needed to be changed. Okay, so what was your method? Did you train yourself? Did you, uh, you know, look up some Wikipedia articles about how to do this? Did you bust out a compass and protractor? What you do? Well, there is no how-to guide on redistricting or certainly wasn't back in um, 2010 when I started on this whole thing. So it was a lot of looking up what I could find on the Internet and reading case laws about this and just really teaching myself about how the redistricting process worked and all the rules that affect how lines are drawn and placed on a map, and then testing those out by drawing my own maps to see if we could come up with something that made a whole lot more sense and stick with all the rules. In your spare time, in between taking on piano clients. Exactly. Okay. And uh, what were some weird rules that you encountered that maybe you didn't realize going in you'd have to take into account? Well, most of the rules are pretty common sense. I mean, there's some interesting rules regarding the treatment of minorities you've got to be careful about, but otherwise they're really simple rules. I mean, you want districts that are roughly equal in population, and you want to make sure you're keeping your municipalities whole. I mean, that really comes down to those two essential rules. So it wasn't quite as complicated in the end as I thought it might had the state been keeping their municipalities whole? It sounds like that one dot in Upper Mukunji wasn't. No, they certainly hadn't been. There were a ton of splits when they had done this in 2001, and that's the maps I was looking at. So I was thinking that as they were going to draw their maps in 2010, they'd be interesting in seeing how they could make them more constitutional. Right. So you're putting your maps out there in the world how? Mostly online? At the time, no. At the time, I wasn't online yet. I was getting ready to go to a public hearing and just share the information there. So these are these meetings that are open to the public, but I would guess they wouldn't expect, they might expect someone to come and make a statement and, you know, complain, why am I not in this district? Did they not expect someone to come with a full-scale redrawing of the state? I would say from the response, no. And I think I was the only one there that did come and present a map. But in my ignorance, I had assumed everyone would be bringing in a map and (laughs) showing them what they possibly should be doing. So I hadn't realized at that moment that I was doing anything unusual. That is, by the way, the mark of people who change the world don't realize that not everyone else is doing it. When they start off, they look around and they say things like, wait a minute, we're all not trying to get unmanned flights to outer space? So I just want you to know that. So when you presented these maps last time, you began to get some attention, I guess just because of the quality of the maps. How did, how did that happen and what was the effect? So the attention really didn't come until after the court decision came down. So I made all these presentations and showed the information and had been continually ignored. 
And so when that happens, your only recourse is to appeal directly to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court to see if they will make them listen. The Public Interest Law Center represented me back in 2012, and that was just on the state districts. More recently, there has been a case brought forward, which the Public Interest Law Center also has been involved in, which was a congressional case on the federal districts we have for our congressional districts. And that's the case that was more recently just decided that has brought this issue back into the limelight again. So when you were working back in 2010 and 2012 and there was a decision in 2013, did it have any effect on the state legislative maps? Yes, it did. So the state legislative maps, the ones they had initially drawn, had to be redrawn again. So the ones they initially drew, I would say, adversely affected over 9 million of the 12 million residents of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And the ones they came back with maybe affected over 7 million of the population adversely. So maybe 2 million people were spared, if you will, from adversely being impacted through these excessive splits. Are those the legislative districts that are currently in place in Pennsylvania? Yes. The ones that they ended up with are the ones that we use for our state Senate and state House districts. Yes. Did they take any of your input in drawing those maps? I didn't think they took a whole lot. Okay, so that's the state maps. Those are in place. Mm -hmm. And now we come up to the congressional maps, what I was talking about, people voting Mm -hmm. for their member of Congress. And there was a case that wound its way through the courts. And just a couple weeks ago, the Supreme Court uh, refused to hear an appeal. So Pennsylvania has to redo their maps. And so now are people coming to you knowing that you have some expertise in this area? Well, I've certainly been reaching out to people, sharing my thoughts on the subject, hoping that they will take this opportunity to draw maps that don't split any municipality, for instance, in the state. There's no reason we would have to split any municipality other than Philadelphia, of course, which is larger than a congressional district. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how much – I just want to ask about – the party advantage, because actually most of my questions have been premised on it. First of all, I mean, I read in one account uh, that you were at one point a Republican committee woman. Is that right? That's correct. Um, Do you still identify with one party over another? I do. And is it the Republican Party? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. What about the partisan breakdown of maps? Uh, It seems to me that your major motivation is keeping municipalities intact and just having the most logical map where townships are together, for instance. Whereas nationally, I think a lot of the impetus is to create a map that's less partisan, less nakedly partisan. So how do you, uh, how do you bake the partisanship or lack of partisanship into what you do? Yeah, my focus is more, I think it's more important we have a map that's created on neutral principles than trying to have a map that may be politically fair, if you will, under some interpretations. Those are the kind of two choices you have to make. And I think it's more important to have that neutral map in there. So the political considerations aren't something that come into play for me when I'm creating a map. These municipalities that form the building blocks of the districts and were intended to be how people maintained a strong representative voice in their government. And so preserving those preserves their strong representative voice. And voters are free thinkers who are free to choose one party, one election, and a different party, a different election, or even in the same election, vote for one office one way and a different office a different way. And so in my mind, the focus really needs to be centered on keeping those neutral principles at the forefront of the map. So I see a lot of 
chatter about this or a lot of enthusiasm about this on the Democratic side, on liberal podcasts. Oh, finally, the Republicans are getting their comeuppance when it comes to the gerrymandered state of Pennsylvania. But diving deeper, it doesn't seem that that might be going on, but there are other issues, right? I mean, there are issues of, since most of the Democrats are are geographically concentrated in these cities, it might be hard to create a map that will send nine uh, representatives to Congress who are Democrats if indeed 51% of the vote of Pennsylvania goes Democrat. Um, there's just geographic and, you know, where people live uh, considerations, right? Oh, there certainly are. If you look probably at the voting population, you would take out, let's say, the city of Philadelphia and the city of Pittsburgh, and you look at try to look at what the voter stats are, I'm sure it would be different than once they're included in. And you have to remember that Pennsylvania, in its recent elections, in the same election as a statewide entity, has elected candidates of different parties. So Pennsylvania is a full of a lot of free, free thinkers here who like to vote for the person, I think, more than the party sometimes. I know that your main interest is drawing a good map for Pennsylvania, but is there a good process or method that you would endorse of the way the states do it? I think that more significant than who's drawing the maps is having measurable standards by which any map drawler can be held accountable. All right, and my last question is, do you envy Montana and Alaska? (laughs) Some days. Some days, you know, you have it simple when you're small sometimes. Yes, when you have one at-large representative. Yes. Well, Amanda Holt is uh, an amateur cartographer, but so much more than that. In fact, I can tell you that she was the uh, Pennsylvania Citizen Activist of the Year in 2012 for all her map-making daring do. Her accomplishments are being revisited now that Pennsylvania is under the deadline to get some good maps in place for their election. Thank you so much, Amanda. You're welcome. And now the spiel. The Senate Intel Committee held a valuable meeting today where simple statements of facts were made, were not refuted, and were learned from. Here is Dan Coates, Director of National Intelligence, relaying such a fact and leading, notably, with the Russians. While Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea pose the greatest cyber threats, other nation states, terrorist organizations, transnational criminal organizations, and ever more technically capable groups and individuals use cyber operations to achieve strategic and malign objectives. Some of these actors, including Russia, are likely to pursue even more aggressive cyber attacks with the intent of degrading our democratic values and weakening our alliances. If news is that which is new, there probably wasn't that much new in this hearing, and yet it was newsworthy. Because what the heads of the CIA, the FBI, the DNI, all the other intel agencies were telling the senators were, in fact, pieces of what is known, what is agreed upon. It's not compelling, but we can all say it's true and it's real that the United States faces threats. And those threats include, or per Dan Coates' framing, are led by Russians' desires to interfere in American elections. And yet, This has become such an alarming statement to the executive branch and to the leader of the House version of the very committee where Coates was testifying that simply stating it in the open without gainsay is an achievement. What went on in the Senate today isn't actually a word, but it should be. 
re-legitimizing because the president is constantly delegitimizing the intelligence agencies. So it is time, just by being careful, prudent, and normal, to re-legitimize them. We shouldn't have to throw flowers at the feet of Richard Burr, Republican of North Carolina, who leads the Intel Committee. He's just doing his job. But you know what? He is doing his job. It's more than can be said of others in the government. He's protecting the public. And in that way, he's differentiating himself from Devin Nunes, who thought it would be good policy to erect a wall, a physical barrier between Republicans and Democrats in the House Intel Committee. Devin Nunes, discredited though he is, nincompoop, though he also is, he got his Nunes memo released because the American people should know the Democrats got their memo squashed for the time being because, well, that's sensitive material. I do call Devin Nunes a discredited nincompoop. I don't love name calling, but uh, I think it fits. I know nincompoop isn't nice, but I'm, I'm not trying to be any crueler than I have to. And at the end of this fiasco, he'll be doubly discredited, which actually burnishes your credentials in Trump world. Triply discredited, that's Reince Priebus. Constantly discredited, that's Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And just a pure stream of discredit, that is known as the full Kellyanne. Devin Nunes is a hack and a cynic, but I don't want to use the word a partisan because the Republicans on the Senate side showed that they could be good Americans. They are concerned to different degrees with the threat posed by the Russians, by all our adversaries. Republican Senator Susan Collins of Maine seemed appalled. Senator Rish of Ohio acknowledged the seriousness of the Russian threat, but said he knew U.S. citizens were smart enough not to be fooled. Mm -hmm. And then Democrat Senator Jack Reed of Rhode Island asked the FBI's Christopher Wray and all the other heads this question. Has the president directed you and your agency to take specific actions to confront and blunt Russian influence activities that are ongoing? Uh, we're taking a lot of specific efforts to blunt uh, Russian efforts. directed by the president? Uh, not, not as specifically directed by the president. Others hemmed and hawed and said, oh, the president's taking it seriously. But when pressed, none could say, yes, the president has been specific about the Russians. Because he hasn't. Why? And this is my last point. Why? So some would say it's because the Russians helped him get elected. But let's take his word for it. No collusion. The adoption meeting, that was just politics. Hoping WikiLeaks would release the DNC emails, that was just bluster. So if we, if we take him by his word, all he is doing is systematically ignoring the greatest threat to American elections. Why is he doing that? It's because he's so insecure. The only explanation, other than to throw off the scent of actual criminal wrongdoing, is that the guy is so thin-skinned about the implication that he was in some way aided by a hostile power that everyone in the intelligence committee said was trying to affect the election and did that he's so thin-skinned about this that he's actually been derelict in his duty to protect the American people. And I have to say, between directly colluding and not caring because of ego, I don't know which is worse. Yes, I do. It's directly colluding. Okay, let's admit that. But his character flaw is a sad one. It's not surprising, but it is terrible for the country nonetheless. And that's it for today's show that just was produced by Pierre Bienname. Just producer, he got a tub in air about three years ago, slathers it on his face most mornings, does the job. He says, think of it as a dollar shave club, but for only a 20th of a dollar. Mary Wilson is the just senior producer. She's been demonically outlining all the papers on her desk with a thick black Sharpie. Has she gone conspiracy theory mad? No, she says, 
I'm just decorating with a frame bridge like program, but it's DIY. Steve Lichtide's executive producer of Slate Podcasts has this huge pile of unreimbursed expense reports in a desk drawer. And his plan is to down some jolt and take some Vivran over the upcoming President Day weekend and then bust it all out. He calls it a fresh books kind of deal. The gist, we are intrigued by the system of mailing and receiving packages that the government has a budget for. It's kind of like a stamps.com, but with mail. It's called the U.S. Postal Service. It needs a better name, but I think there's something there. Umperu Deperu Duperu, and thanks for listening. What is the name of the Pennsylvania burg that you live in? Upper Mukunji Township. Mukunji. I was wa- wondering if it was Mukunji or Mukungi. Mukunji. Mukunji, yes. Mukunji. Who, who Google was... will tell you it's Mukungi. Yeah? If you listen to it on the uh, directions, but no. the natives say Mukungi. Yeah, yeah. The place of the Schuylkill River would not possibly say Mukungi.